Is that an excellent job by these ladies and gentlemen? And that's what I'm talking about. You know, young people serving believers, making a difference. Church is not defined by one generation or by any one group. Galatians 3 tells us that we're all baptized into Christ. So there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And I don't think that I'm misrepresenting the idea behind that verse when I say, you know, there's neither young nor middle-aged, nor seasoned citizen. You know, there, there aren't sports fans and movie fans. There aren't righties and lefties. I could go on, but I've noticed that in our world, there's this tendency lately to separate and categorize and divide and argue. And while our culture is busy dividing and arguing, it's amazing that we have people from all walks of life gathering with a single purpose to worship God and bring Him glory. So seeing these young people up here leading us in worship, right, it puts me in the frame of mind to worship God, and I trust it does that for you too. This way, if anyone tries to tell you that old line about how our young people are the future of the church, you can say, nah, I was in Community Heights on April 18th, and I know for sure that our young people are the now of the church. And last week, Zach started this series on, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And as we go over it in the coming weeks, I hope you never lose the mental image of multiple generations of people gathered together just to hear the words of the Lord. So today, let's gather around the mountain and hear what Jesus said. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus said this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I love this metaphor. Jesus compares those of us who follow him to salt. How many of you prefer salty eats to sweet ones? How many of you prefer sweet to salty? Okay. All right. I'm a salty sort of feller myself. And my neighbor has sheep and donkeys. And a few years ago, Katie and I had walked over to see his lambs. And he pointed at this little rock that was down there next to a tree. And he told us, we got those donkeys a block of salt to lick. And so Katie and I just sort of glanced at each other like, hold up. Did he just say that you can buy a whole block of salt and just lick it? I said, those donkeys are living our best life. But here's the deal, guys. God has something for you your whole lifetime. As far as I know, salt and honey are the most mentioned flavorings in the Bible. Between them, salt and honey are mentioned 102 times in the Bible. And neither of them expire. So here's Jesus telling us we are salt. But if you're a sweet per sweets person, that's okay too. Just you know, go ahead and be, be sweet as honey your entire life. Point being, there is no expiration date on your purpose. And that's as good as for Youth Sunday as it is for Middle Age Sunday 
as it is for seasoned citizen Sunday. Your role may change, but no matter what phase of your life you're in, you're still important. And God still has and is going to have meaning for you as long as you live. So what is Jesus trying to communicate when he says, we're the salt of the earth? I believe he's describing our internal life. Salt equals our internal life. I believe that being salty is a description of the character of the believer. You know, somewhere along the way, the word salty has kind of gotten attached to this other meaning. You know, somebody's kind of rough around the edges. If someone has a tendency to use inappropriate words, we might say, Grandma was talking really salty yesterday, something like that. So today, we don't have to pretend that that isn't a thing, but we can set that aside. And, and let's agree in this case that being salty is a positive. Salt has flavor. So Jesus gives you permission to go up to everyone you know and tell them, hey, I have got flavor. But guys, God wants us to live a life that carries around the flavor of God. God wants us to live lives that are influenced by him. So Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, then it is no longer worth shaking onto your popcorn. Which seems like a weird statement because does salt expire? No. Salt is a chemical compound, so it's always going to be salty. That's just what it does. Was Jesus unaware of how salt works? No, he invented salt, right? So, salt is salt, except when it's something else. Sometimes in Jesus' day, merchants would sell salt that wasn't pure salt. So let's say I go and buy salt and it's cut with something else. And let's say my salt isn't stored very securely and moisture and humidity come in. What happens to my salt? My salt supply, all right, it's like, a, a, like I buy a pair of Nike, sho Nike shoes, but it's Nike spelled with a Y. What I have isn't the real deal. See, salt isn't the problem, but my salt supply could lose its saltiness. And if what's inside there isn't salt anymore, then what's it good for? Toss it out. That's all. It may as well be tossed out on the road. I had a relative go to the doctor recently, and the doctor told her to eat more salt because salt helps your body store water. And that clicked with me because over in the Gospel of John, Jesus goes to this well. And along comes this Samaritan woman, and she's carrying her bucket. And she comes up to Jesus, and Jesus asks her to get him a drink of water. And she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. These two groups of people do not get along with each other. So she says, do you not realize who I am? And Jesus tells her, if you realized who I am, you would be asking me, and I would give you living water. See, Jesus offers living water. He offers a kind of satisfaction 
this world knows nothing about. And you know what you need so you can absorb the living water? You have got to be salty. Jesus doesn't want an open relationship. He wants you to be salty. He wants you to be committed. You have to be intentional about that. That means you have to be the gatekeeper of what goes in to your salt supply. That's why reading your Bible matters. That's why who you spend time with matters. You're not going to be the right kind of salty if you spend all your time with people who encourage negativity in your life. You're not going to be salty if you indulge your negative thoughts. You have to say, no, no, that is salt with a Z. That doesn't get to go into my shaker of salt. I'm going to pursue the real deal. You have to be intentional about absorbing the living water. So guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. Salt, okay, that's the internal. We want to be people of character. But Jesus continues on to make the next statement about our exterior. Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16 says this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So on the fourth day of creation, God made the moon. And what does the moon look like when you look at it? Kind of like it has the face of a person, right? How does the moon function? It's a light in the darkness because it reflects a bigger light. And Jesus says, we are the light of the world. And folks, just like the moon, we're here. We exist to reflect light. So I want to take a few and give you three ways that you can be the light that you're meant to be. So number one, I need to live my light where it matters. A man was leaving church one day, and this was back when people would sh shake hands. I know that seems unconventional now. But so the preacher was standing at the door shaking hands of the congregation as they left. And the preacher grabbed this one fellow by the hand, pulled him aside. And he said to him, you need to join the army of the Lord. The guy says, I'm already in the army of the Lord, preacher. Preacher asks, then why do I see you in church only, only one Sunday every couple months? The guy whispers back, preacher, I'm in the secret service. I remember when I was growing up, I'd hear things like, you need to walk like a Christian. You need to look like a Christian. You need to smell like a Christian. And I still don't know what that last one means. I don't know if it's like a Sunday potluck. Do you dab a little fried chicken and green beans behind your ears or what? Is that a Christian coming? I don't, I don't know what that means, but guys, God doesn't have a secret service. He doesn't need undercover agents. He wants us to be seen and to point others to him. He doesn't want us to compartmentalize. You know, over here, 
is Sunday me. Over here, I'm salt and I'm light. Over here, though, is rest of the week me. But right now, I'm Sunday me, and Sunday me doesn't talk about what goes on over in that box. God doesn't want us to be like that. I have a suggestion for you. <clears throat> be on your worst behavior in church. You say, Trav, I think you may have misspoken. I'll say it again. Be on your worst behavior in church. Now, if you're thinking, if you saw my worst behavior, you definitely wouldn't want that in church. Then your worst behavior needs to change. If the, per if the person you are at work, someone you'd want to be known as at church. If you hear, be on your worst behavior in church, and you're thinking, I already am, brother, then, then good on you. But if you won't let who you are out there come in here, then your light isn't shining as intended. Who I am an hour out of the week ain't really who I am, is it? In the Gospel of John, John is introducing Jesus and he says this, John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. See guys, we are living in a dark world. But Jesus is the light in the darkness. You know, it's not even super dark in here, but you can tell the difference between a bright light and what's not, right? We can tell the difference. It stands out. Can you imagine how well you'd be, be able to see it if it were seriously dark in here? You know, but you can follow a light when it goes around in a dark place. So we're living in a dark world, but God wants us to be the light. And guys, we can't be the light if we're constantly running towards the shadows. Now, our spiritual life, I think, may be the only area of our lives where we try to see just how close we can get to the line without going over. If you go by a park police officer doing 55, you're not going to double back and try at 56 and 57 and so on until he pulls you over, are you? Police officer comes up. Do you know how fast you were going? Yeah, I was doing 63 because you didn't seem to notice me when I did 62. After a few minutes, he lets you off with a warning. You say, all right, well, thank you, officer. I'll see you again in a couple minutes. All right, we don't, we don't live our lives like that. If somebody tells you, you can only live a few days without water, you don't say, we'll see about that, right? That would be absurd. But, but our spiritual life is one, is one area where we do that, okay? When, when we're dating, we ask, how far is too far? Instead of asking, how can I handle this relationship in a way that honors my body, my parents, and my God? Or maybe it's at work and we're asking, how much can I flirt with that member of the opposite sex before technically I'm cheating? How honest do I really need to be? How often do I need to pray and read my Bible, you know, just to get by? How far can I get before God strikes me down. And I can't think of another area 
of our lives where we use that approach? Why do we aim for the bare minimum in our spiritual lives? Why do we scurry towards the shadows and hope God doesn't chase us down? Do you realize that God has much better in mind for you than that? What if instead of seeing what we can get by with, we thought about what is best for our spiritual health? What if we were on our worst behavior in church like we are out of church? What if we are a bright light out in a dark world? If you go to the restaurant and you ask for no pickles on your burger and you get it and it has pickles, are you going to fling it back in the face of the person who gave it to you? It's not being light. Are you the student your teachers hate to see because they know you're going to have something disrespectful to say? Are you the worker who was always running down the, the boss behind their back? Are your middle finger and your Jesus bumper sticker sending mixed messages as you travel down the road? Is the man or woman your children see at home the same person you expect them to be when they're here? If the person you are when you leave here is not who shows up on Sundays, then you're not as lit as you need to be. So how can we be the light of the world? One, we, we need to live our light where it really counts. Number two, don't diminish the light of others. We all know that song, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to do what? Yeah, I'm going to let it shine. Am I going to hide it under a bushel? No. Jesus said that. Nobody lights a lamp and hides it under a bowl. While we're busy not hiding our own lights under a bushel, let's do the same for others. Romans 12, 2 tells us this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Is this, a wor is this world a place where everybody's building each other up? Everybody is a critic of everything. But we aren't called to be critics. What does conform mean? Another term we use is blend in. When culture encourages us to fight and divide and ignore God, we as believers should do the opposite. We shouldn't seek to blend into the darkness. Jesus commands us to be the light. See, we can fall into this trap, and I've done it too, where we see another Christian doing something we don't agree with, and we say, well, I wouldn't do that. Well, don't. All right, that'll teach the devil, right? But if, if you're that grieved over someone's actions, you definitely shouldn't repeat them. Or say, I don't know if he's a real Christian acting like that, talking like that. That's okay. God doesn't need help keeping his role book up to date. You're not responsible for that. If you're genuinely concerned about someone's direction, pray for them. Otherwise, you're just throwing shade at them to make yourself feel brighter. If we're in a dark room and I have a candle and you have a candle, is mine going to, to glow any brighter if I blow yours out? No, in fact, we'll both see less of our surroundings because I blew yours out. 
we can fall into this trap where we want to tear another Christian down because they aren't living like we think they should or they're struggling with a different sin than I am. And if I do that and you do the same, what happens? We're just blowing out each other's candles, right? We're just stuffing each other out. I need to focus on number one, which is living my light, and then number two, not diminishing your light. In fact, how can we be the light of the world? Number three, help other lights shine brighter. One way that we grow as Christians is to look at the examples of those before us. There are people we can look at in the Bible and say, wow, that person was successful for God. How can I be like that? There have certainly been people in my life who I've looked at, and their example has benefited me throughout my life, and my light is a little brighter for knowing them. So I ask a few of our youth to answer a question. Tell us about someone who has positively influenced you for God. So I'm going to turn it over to them for just a few minutes. So someone from the Bible who has really inspired me to live for God is Ruth. Um, she lived in a time where there was a constant cycle between sin and having to suffer the consequences for it. And there was famine in the land. And where she was from, it was very violent and pretty godless. But she didn't let any of that get to her and define who she was. And so when she lost her husband and Naomi lost her whole family, even Naomi said, you know, God has turned against us. He's not with us. And Ruth said, no, he's loyal to us. I'll be loyal to you. Your God is my God. And even though she couldn't see how the Lord would get them out of the situation, she had faith, and she didn't let all the negativity around her bring her down. And the Lord was able to provide for her and for Naomi and bring light of their situation. In 2019, I went to Costa Rica at this church for the mission trip. We went to teach kids about Jesus. When we got there and we were teaching them, just seeing the smiles on their faces while we were teaching them inspired me. It made me realize that even... No, it made me realize that I live for the Lord and that I'm thankful for that. Someone from the Bible who inspires me to live for the Lord is Ruth. Ruth went, I mean, sorry, Esther, my bad. Esther went from being an orphan to being royalty, and she really wasn't prepared for it. She was a Jew, and in that time, Jews were persecuted constantly. And But the queen chose, the king chose her as his queen, just because of her beauty, he had no idea that she was a Jew. And so one of the king's chief advisors convinced him that they needed to kill all the Jews in the kingdom. And so Ruth went before the king, which already wasn't allowed, and told him that she was a Jew, which was also frowned upon, and convinced him not to kill her people. And so if she can be brave and live for the Lord like that, so can I. Hi, I'm going to be talking about Paul. And how no matter where you came from in life, you can always turn and live for the Lord. And Paul, better known as Saul at that time, dedicated most of his life to persecuting Christians. And in Acts 22, 19 through 21, he actually says, And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. 
And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was shed, I myself was standing by, approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. So this guy Saul actually watched and approved of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, his stoning. And um, after the crucifixion, Paul became um, known as Saul, and he gave his life over to the Lord. And he actually, even though he started much later than the rest of the disciples, did a lot of work for the Lord and actually ended up writing about 13 Bible or 13 books, I believe, in the New Testament. And he became a mentor to Timothy, and he also wrote letters to the, um, to the churches, giving them guidance to persevere through all the persecution they were receiving. Um, the same kind of persecution he inflicted upon Christians back in before he was changed. And this just makes me feel like no matter where I feel like I've come from in life, no matter what I've done, and no matter what anybody else has done, you can still turn and give your life to the Lord and live an amazing life glorifying God. Okay, that's all. <laughs> All right, these young, amazing young people have the opportunity to be the light of the world because others have invested to help their light shine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul encouraged the Corinthians, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can you say that in your life? Can you say that to your children? You know, growing up, faith was just a part of our home. We went to church when there was church to go to. I saw my mom teach Sunday school, and I had the opportunity to be around godly people. And seeing that has helped me realize the importance of being the light. So don't let guilt or past mistakes, like Emily was saying, keep you from being a light. Sometimes we attempt good Christian humility and say, I'm unworthy of God's love, or I'm unworthy to even serve God. And I'm sure I've said that before, so I'm not picking on you if that's something that you say, but understand, Jesus died on a cross to pay for my sins and your sins. He set our value. And if I say I'm unworthy, then I'm accusing him of making a mistake. And if nobody has told you before, then I'm telling you now, you are worthy. The cross proves it. In fact, here's a more accurate use of the term unworthy. Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are preaching and some religious leaders get jealous. So they start trying to contradict Paul and Barnabas. And they tell them this in verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the, to the Gentiles. So you know who is unworthy? Those who reject Christ. Those who reject eternal life. And so God is gracious, and as long as you have life, you have the option to turn to him. But not only is, is unworthy not an accurate description for you as a Christ follower, but the next time you think you're unworthy, here's a different label you can use instead. Romans 8, 37, it says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So this is written to the church at Rome, 
did Rome know a little, a little bit about conquerors? Yeah, they, they were acquainted, okay? And it says, think of all of these great conquerors the world has known. You know, you got your Genghis Khan, you got Julius Caesar, Ric Flair, Alexander the Great. You take all your conquerors. And Paul says, and he was so good at words, that God used him to write half of the New Testament. He says, I don't have a word for what we are through Jesus, but it's more. All right, we should be humble, not saying we shouldn't. Overconfidence is believing you can do it all on your own. But confidence is, I am capable because I believe what God has said about me. Being humble doesn't mean we minimize everything about ourselves. Humility isn't believing you're incapable or you're worthless. Humility is knowing I have limitations, but also knowing I have something to offer God, and God will take it, what I, whatever I offer, and make it something greater. So when we believe the lies that tell us we're unworthy, we're incapable, we have nothing to offer, you know what that is? That's stinking thinking. See, Jesus didn't have these people gathered around the mountain to take a quiz to figure out if they were ready to be salt or light. He didn't try to figure out if they were worthy. He said, you're following me. You're listening to me. You are the light of the world. Sometimes the stinking thinking enters the picture, and that voice tries to tell you that you're not enough. And you can either believe that voice and what it tries to tell you, or you can believe what God says about you. My light is going to shine a little bit differently than yours, okay? I believe my light is what I invest in the next generations. But where are you called to be the light? Jesus never said, try to be salty. Or, would you please consider being the light of the world? He looked at those who had gathered for him. He looked at his followers and he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This isn't optional. This isn't just for certain believers. This is a calling on every Christ follower's life. Sometimes we have an incorrect idea about that term calling. We think of these big life trajectories, you know, called to the mission field, called to be a pastor of a church. Those are callings, but those are specialized callings within an overall call. There are certain callings that all believers have over their life. And you are definitely called to be salt and light. Some of you may be the light on a mission field, and if so, that's great. But even if that's not you, understand you all definitely have some calling on your life. So salt and light, who are you and who do you represent? You can't be salt without it leading to you being light. And your light isn't going to shine very well if there isn't some salt and some character behind it. We aren't hard up for light in here. All right, we have some in here, out there in the, in the world. That's where your light matters. 
So wherever you are in your life, young people, seasoned citizens, everyone in between, I challenge you, be salty, be light, and help grow the light in others around you. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to be together, and I thank you for what, what your word teaches us. I just ask you to please just help us to go out of here, you know, being people of character, being the salt of the earth, and being people who, who exhibit your light and reflect you for all the world to see. I just ask you please just help me personally to, to be what I need to be for you, and just, uh, just bless this church and help it to be what it needs to be uh, as a light for you, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.